0: Welcome to Fun Unfiltered today. I have a very fun guest. Everybody knows how fun Kenny Wallace is. Kenny, appreciate you joining us on my podcast. There's a lot of people watching and liking it. And uh, I can't think of a better guy to be able to spend a, a few minutes with and listen to what you've been up to during all this craziness that we're living with in the world today. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing really good and I want you to know that this is a highlight in my life. I have been very jealous, I've been waiting to be on your show. Thanks.
0: Well, I've been waiting for you to be here and I, you know, timing is everything. So a couple of weeks ago, I thought the 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 race the 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 week leading up to the Talladega race that I wanted to have Kenny Wallace because for many reasons um Talladega's special to you and I. And I thought what better guest leading into Talladega uh than than Kenny Wallace so we could share some of those old stories. But um, you went off racing, which I can't wait for you to share with the folks at home, what that was like. And so, um, I wanted to, to get you as soon as possible because, uh, of our special ties to Talladega and, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but right now I want to know you are the envy of all NASCAR racers. I think they've been doing racing on the computer and it's really competitive and fun, but you actually got to race. Like, you might be the only NASCAR racer that's raced lately. Yeah. So what happened,
1: Mikey, you've been dirt racing with us in the past. There's a promoter in Marshalltown, Iowa. His name's Toby Cruz. Well, Toby called me up, and he says, how are you doing, Kenny? And I said, Toby, I'm doing horrible. This is not conducive with, with, you know, my uh, personality. And he says, well, I have something for you. And he says, you remember Park Jefferson Speedway? And I said, I sure do. And he says, well, we're gonna put on a race with the modifieds that you drive and 410 cubic inch motors, sprint cars. And I said, I'm in. And at the time, Mikey, I didn't even have a car yet. (laughs) Because my race car is a little different than the IMCA car. Well, I was lucky and called a good friend of mine. And then like a day later, Schrader calls me up. Kenny Schrader, he says, Herman? I said, yeah, Schrader. He says, I think we're going to the same place. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's funny. He took his pencil out and he started writing everything down. And, you know, Schrader got like 10 haulers, truck and trailers. He's like a little kid with models. So he said, we're going to take my motor home. We're going to put an enclosed trailer on the back, and he's going to put his race car. And he says, you're going to ride with me. I said, yes, sir. So it was Kenny Schrader driving his motorhome with the race car in the trailer, Joey Walsh, and me. And Mikey, for eight hours, I forgot about the coronavirus. It was very therapeutic. Had the time of my life. And, uh, yeah, so we left on Friday at 1 o'clock, got back Monday at 1 o'clock.
0: Where, where is this park jefferson speedway somewhere in the midwest or where? what i don't know where you went for eight hours
1: yeah so um if you look at the map and you look at south dakota iowa nebraska it's it's almost like a, a bristol tennessee thing the racetrack is right where all three states come together very south southeastern part of south dakota and then right at iowa right in nebraska it's it's right there, Park Jefferson Speedway, and uh, yeah, we even stopped in Council Bluff, Iowa, and and got
0: Cracker Barrel to go. It was awesome. It sounds awesome, and I've been blessed to be on those trips with you and Schrader, and and dirt racing. And the The community, the social part of dirt racing, is 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 obviously one of the the best parts. And I'm just wondering with with this promoter, that's brilliant to have a race, but what all guidelines did you have to abide by and and what provisions were put in place so that he could have this race? That's, that's incredible.
1: Right. So we all know that the coronavirus can kill you. We understand it's very contagious, but what better place to have a race in one of the most desolate states in the United States, South Dakota, very, very low. One of the lowest infection rates in all of the United States. So that was number one. We thought it was safe to do this. So when we pulled into pit gate, we're all looking like what to expect. Yeah. And, you know, we're a little apprehensive. Well, you know, by the time, you know, we knew going that we had to wear a mask no matter what you thought. So everybody had a mask on. We followed all the CDC guidelines and we were even stricter on ourselves. So, you know, when we got our pit pass, you know, everybody had masks on, they're spraying sanitizer in your hands. You know, they're, everything's outdoors. Uh, even when we got our transponder, you know, even the NASCAR race cars have transponders. So what they did was instead of having a driver's meeting, they took a piece of paper, printed very nicely, they, they put – the transponder, which was sanitized, and the driver's meeting in a Ziploc bag with your name on it. So there was no gathering for a driver's meeting, and everybody stayed away from each other. But, Mikey, for some reason, you know, once you get racing, you know, it it seemed all normal. You know, once we got going, it was was fine.
0: I, I imagine maybe one of the best feelings you've had in a few months was cranking that engine up. And, and hitting the racetrack, how 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 good did that feel for you? Because I know you've been all pinned up. You needed to get out.
1: Mikey, you're right. You know, you know me as good as anybody. And I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I was. Uh, I was not doing good in the last two weeks. You know, at first I'm like I'm okay uh, because I do like me time because I do get exhausted being me it wears me out. (laughs) So, you know, I was getting upset because my wife was scared, you know, and I'm like, darn it. And, and it just, I was just not doing good. So from that standpoint, when I got in that race car and fired that motor up, uh, I just felt all my anxiety leave. And, you know, I got on the racetrack and it was me in the race car. And, uh, I tell you I really needed that I really did I I come back and my wife said when I came back home my wife Kim said well, it's I'm happy to have my Kenny back
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm sure that she was how many cars were in this race and and tell me about the, the 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 race itself how'd you do and how many guys did you know some of the guys you were racing against besides Schrader how, how did it all go
1: part of the cdc guidelines was we had to contain the car count we knew that if they opened it up you'd have over a hundred race cars and that could not happen so it was an invitational race what they did is they invited 12 of their local drivers and there was a total of 32 cars in the modified and 32 sprint cars so 10 people per car so you know still quite amount of people but the reason it worked good as you know it's south dakota so the pits were huge and we were able to park the truck and trailers 30 feet from each other so you know uh that's the way they contained it was you know only 32 cars invited so it was invitational but mikey where they hit a home run is they did this pay-per-view deal and they made a lot of money.
0: That's awesome. It, it, it worked really well. Well, when you hit the track um, and, and you're, you're kicking the dirt up, one of my favorite things to do is when we go to Eldora for the truck race and you bring your modified there. And I watched crazy Kenny Wallace, everybody thinks just a nut. Go down in turn three, have that left front tire about three feet in the air and just hammering the gas. I mean, that you are so good. Obviously evident by all those trophies behind you. You're so good behind those dirt modifieds. Uh, so how did you perform against, against the field in, in South Dakota?
1: So I finished um, 32 cars the first night. I finished 12th. Uh, the second night, now we raced at a place called the New Raceway Park, very close, uh, and I finished 8th there. So, you know, I was happy with it because I was in another man's race car. And, you know, Mike, at my age, you know, I'm going to be 57 in August. Uh, I'm thrilled to death with my life to be able to compete. And, uh, you know, all those years in NASCAR, uh, although I had a good time and it was a great life, you know, competition to kill you. And uh, I was happy, you know, to finish 12th. You know, I tried hard, but, you know, like our, Our dear friend, Dale Earnhardt Sr. told me and you, he said, Kenny Wallace, there are thousands of great race car drivers all over the United States. So, you know, I wanna be clear and you know this too, when you show up to these local dirt tracks, it doesn't mean you're better than them. These guys are really good.
0: Yeah, really good. And how'd Schrader do? Was he the same old Schrader, just solid as a rock? Well, it was hilariously
1: funny. Because both nights, okay, I finished 12th, he finished 13th. The next night, I finished 8th, he finished ninth. I pissed him off a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then he had to ride eight hours with you and hear about it.
1: Well, he's so funny. You know, he just uh, – the, the, the last night, like with one to go, I decided to run the high line. And, and I looked to the left of me and I saw him on the inside of me. And I said, oh, no. So I took my car down. I blocked him off. After the race, we get to drinking a beer, and he says, you chopped me off. I said, yes, I did.
0: (laughs) That's so good that you you get to smile and laugh like this. I think the whole world's been missing it. And, you know, just hats off to the promoter for coming up with a plan and, and making it all work. And what I like about Schrader after he's had a couple of beers after the dirt race, Is before he says anything he'll go yeah 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 (laughs) wipe his mouth and he'll go you cut me off
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it it, it was a good time and uh, you know I, I think that if everybody knows that we took every precaution so Mikey even even like the bathroom you know you go to a dirt racetrack the bathrooms usually are not that great but I went into this particular bathroom. It looked like a hospital. Uh, soap dispensers, towels, CDC guidelines, you know, taped on the wall, two people outside with masks on. You know, it looked like we were all going to space, you know. I mean, so sanitary. And then they had a couple people that were like uh, almost like EMT responders. You know, they would – they were monitoring everybody, you know, you know, because the crew members were going into the grandstands. They were allowing the crew members to go to the grandstands. So while we were racing, you could look up there and there was, you know, a decent amount of people watching you. But the, the, the you know the the first responders that were there, uh, they would look at everybody and they you know, they were monitoring the situation. Right,
0: right. Well, I'm glad, like I said, that you got to experience some competition. I know how much it means to you to get out there and mix it up. But uh, prior to that, uh, the grandchildren, the, the pictures, the videos you send on Twitter, they, they totally entertain me. I, I love seeing you with your grandkids and, and just enjoying life. I, I, know, I know it's important to, to be able to have some vent. And it looks like to me, those, those little kids are, are so special to you. And it, it's helping you through these tough times.
1: It really is. Um, I've always loved children. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't take me long to warm up. You know, Mikey, the most wonderful feeling is, you know, I'm in my race shop right now, as you can tell. But, you know, the weather starts warming up a little bit. Maybe I might have the doors open. I'll be intense working on my race car. And I look and here comes them babies with their, my daughters, you know, or their husbands. And man... You just, I just stopped doing everything I'm doing. And uh, it, it is the best. You know, as you know, there, there's an old joke. If I could have skipped my children and went straight to my grandbabies, that would have been awesome. <laughs> there, it, it's a great time of life. You know, I mean, you know, real, in reality, you know, we don't want to grow old, but there is a silver lining, you know, because, you know, my life is a, a lot easier right now. And uh, you know, w- you know, I- I'll take something Jeff Burton said. W- would I want to be 22 years old again? Hell no. <laughs> I'm really happy
0: right now, and you're right. And those grandbabies make me happy. And you've got a your dear friend Kenny Schrader. He's a few years ahead of you, and he's still kicking it just just fine. So I know he's an inspiration not only to you and I, but to a lot of people. You know, he really is. And you know. For everybody that's
1: watching this, you know, me and you are dear. And you know, I wanna ask you, I said, Mike, are you gonna you're gonna be like Richard Petty? You're gonna hang out those NASCAR tracks? And you said, Yes, I am. And I realized right then, you know, we all are different. You know, and I listened to a handful of people, you know, the great Dick Trickle, he told me, he says, as long as you can justify it, it's all about each one of us. And Mikey, you love NASCAR like I do, but you love it more. And and Kenny Schrader loves this dirt racing, and he's the one that got me involved in dirt racing, and he loves it more than me and you do. So I personally took a little bit of you, Mikey. I took a little bit of Schrader, and I listened to Dick Trickle, and I think I'm right where I I like to be right now, you know? so. uh, No wonder you're a mess. (laughs) Well... (laughs) You know, That's I quite am a mess mess and, there, buddy. There's no doubt I'm a mess. And like I tell everybody, I said, there's three of me.
0: And, and we talk to each other. <laughs> You're like me. We can drive by ourselves in the HOV lane and not get any trouble. That's exactly right. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to me, damn it. <laughs> You're so crowded in my car. I know that. Uh, let's go back. And... Um, we have something in common. Tell, tell the folks at home, you know, you're, you're a racer from St. Louis and you want to go NASCAR racing. How how did you, how did you get that opportunity? Obviously we both are really blessed to have um, brothers that made our last names mean something. And we were able to, to, to maybe get in some doors, others couldn't. What, what was your first trip down South to go NASCAR racing? What was that like?
1: So, as you said, everybody knows it. Your brother's Darrell Walter, mine's Rusty Wallace. But, put that aside for a minute. Uh, when Rusty was racing USAC, everybody kind of noticed me because I was very young and I was working on the race cars. Because like you, I grew up around racing. Well, it was Joe Ruttman that noticed me. And, and Joe Ruttman got into NASCAR with that Levi Garrett car. And I was down in, um, I believe it was uh, Jefferson, Georgia. It was. I was in Jefferson, Georgia, and it was a short track race. And um, we were at a McDonald's, and it was Joe Ruttman that uh, said, hey, you know, would you want to be a NASCAR crew member? It was that moment, Mikey. It wasn't rusty. And I said, let me think about it. So in 1984, me and my wife, you know, at that time, me and Kim weren't even married. And we went down there off of Tryon Street, Dove Lane, Dove Lane Road Departments. And uh, 1984, I become a crew member. And then, of course, Jake Elder was the crew chief. Jake quit. They looked at me and said, you're going to be the crew chief. I'm like, what? (laughs) So here I am, 1984, in NASCAR Cup Series. And I'm not even a race car driver. I'm just a crew member. Have you driven anything yet at this point? No. No, no. So then after nineteen eighty four, you know, it just got to be where, you know, that's that's a whole nother story. But I end up moving back to St. Louis and I got lucky and John Childs with Child's Tower, he was a sponsor for Rusty. He literally called me up and said, Herman, you wanna go racing? And so John Childs, he bought my first frame and cage from Dillon, Dylan chassis. And then my, uh, you know, I I baked ball and stole and I built my truck and my wife bought my first Dylan trailer. So 1986, that's when I first started racing
0: in ASA. So Kenny, back up. Just give me a second here because this is, I don't think I knew this. That's why I love doing these podcasts so much, because you're my dear friend, and I did not know that as a 21-year-old, you ain't raced a car yet. That's that's crazy to me, because when I was 12, I got these two guys in town to buy me a go-kart, and, and I wanted to be like my big brother. I wanted to go be a driver. I didn't know much about being a crew guy like you did, so um, I just drove from the time I was 12. You You didn't even... I don't understand how you didn't say "Rusty, give let me drive it. I can drive it." I mean, you were just working on the car. Did you not even did you not think about being a race car driver?
1: Mikey, I wanted to be a race car driver so bad. But I specifically remember saying, "Dad, can I race?" And he said, "No." <laughs> I guess at the time, I came along, you know, I remember, you know, the the, the gas shortage, you know, and you know, we were all lined up at the gas stations. You know, I was born in 1975, I think.
0: I remember three, four, five, right along in there. I remember all that.
1: Well, I, I remember my dad saying to me, no, you can't drive because, you know, there's turmoil in, in the world. And, and for some reason, you know, Rusty, I'll never forget. Now, Rusty will tell you right now that he didn't want me to race for selfish reasons because I was a good crew member. And he he didn't you know and Rusty like Daryl very focused yeah you know that you know when you when you're focused it's all about me and and there was just you know there there was mom dad Rusty Mike and me you know it was just all boy house and a lot of testosterone going on and it was you know everybody was kind of fending for themselves even though we were a family and I just couldn't get my act together to be a race car driver you know. Well, thank God for Mr. Childs giving your yep. call. Did that come out of left field to you, or did you like, wow, this is pretty cool? Oh, it, it came out of left field. But, you know, I know one thing for sure that helped me for sure was that I was always with Rusty. And because I was with Rusty, I met Phil Homer at Goodyear. Because I was with Rusty, I met Don Kern that built the motors. So, you know, as a young kid, I knew everybody that Rusty knew. And I remember getting on the phone with everybody because I didn't have any money. Whether it was you know getting free shocks or a free MSD ignition box, I would ball, and you know uh, I might have stole a little bit. But you, know, <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's the way I really got going, and it was rough. You know, my dad told me one time he says, "You can't, you can't do this. You don't have any money," and. I specifically remember him saying that, and it's true. I didn't have any money and living in a single bedroom apartment, but you know, we all got those stories, but
0: we made it work. Yeah, you did. You did just that. Was your first race uh, in, in the Bush series driving for Dale at Martinsville. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah. So. You were an ASA racer and and you wanted to come South. Uh, Did so like my brother, our brothers are exactly alike and we ain't too far off from being exactly alike. My my brother, he didn't help me all that much when I was coming up, but you know, when, when it came time to to tell somebody else to help me a little bit, he, he would do that for me. And and I, I is it the same with Rusty? Like he, yeah. he asked some people to give you a hand?
1: Yes. So nineteen eighty six. 1987, 1988, I did it all on my own with, you know, local help. Well, Rusty would call Dick Trickle, and he'd say, how's my little brother doing? Now, I find this out later on, right? And so it was Dick Trickle was my mentor, because Dick knew me as a little crew member, you know? And I'll never forget it. It was crazy. Uh, November of 88, maybe a little bit earlier, um, you know, he ends up, uh Rusty ends up calling me and he says, Herm, of course, that's my nickname. He says, do you want to run in the Bush series? And, and I'm serious at that time. I didn't really, even though I was, you know, a crew chief, you know, the Bush series didn't really register to me that much. And I said, oh my gosh, yes. So Rusty was able to, um, from them, from right at that moment, I think that's one thing you know, about Rusty, he, I would have never made it without Rusty. So Rusty, the first three years, kept an eye on me. But Rusty was the one that put my Bush Grand National team together, which is now the Xfinity Series. And I owe Rusty everything. He got me moved down there, November of 88, put me in a brand new single-wide Oakwood mobile home, (laughs) <laughs> Had me a van, a free van. Now, you got to remember, this time, Rusty's big time. And so, uh, yeah, so it was all about Rusty. 89, 90, 91, and then uh, after that, like 92, I finally got on my own. And, uh, man, I was I was very lucky after that.
0: Well, I think I remember this, and you know how you remember weird shit, and I don't know why it comes to mind, but I remember – so it was probably '88. I remember being at Martinsville, you know, and i've I've been, I've been working my butt off trying to survive. I'm driving, uh, you know, a, a team, a, a, driving for a team that's trying to get better. And I made it to Cup, and you know, all these kids keep showing up and getting better rides than me and and doing better than me. And I I think I remember. My first impression of you, this makes me really, uh, makes me smile, makes me a little, a little emotional too, because I, I know how tough it is. I remember you coming, running across the track at Martinsville, maybe with your helmet or whatever, and you're coming to the track to drive Dale Earnhardt's Bush car, and you're going off after that race to go run your ASA car. I didn't know your story, and I'm thinking, here comes another, another one of them little buttholes. And, and then I'm like, well, he's actually my age. It's, he's not a kid, but uh, I was, I was jealous because I saw, you know, you being another kid coming in getting a great ride and, and you did a good job in that car that day. And then you ran off to go somewhere else and race. And I thought, "Uh, this is another guy I'm going to have to deal with for a long time. And um, we, we weren't really friends at first, but it certainly didn't take us long to, to become friends. And, I just have that vision in my mind of you running in and out of Martinsville that day.
1: Well, I'm jealous of you because you have more talent than me in those race cars. And you've won two Daytona 500s. You've won the, you know, the Winston. Uh, You have great talent. And, you know, I think along the road we cross paths, but we really respect each other. And what that Martinsville race that you remember, what that was all about was Rusty and, Earnhardt Sr. getting together, NASCAR was not going to let me race Daytona because they had to, NASCAR wanted to see, you know, that I was okay. Remember back then you just can't show up to Daytona. They got to make sure you're, you can drive. So that whole Martinsville deal was rusty and senior putting together a ride. And the only reason I ran Martinsville is so NASCAR could see that I could drive. And at the time, I'm running ASA for points. You know, I got my little team behind me. And, uh, yeah, so I end up, you know, driving back down to, I believe, Greensboro, getting on a plane, going back to Kansas City. And the next day I run my ASA car. Sure. Believe me, Mike, I was broke as a joke. And if it weren't for Rusty and Dale Senior, like, giving me that break, um, you know, when I say broke, I mean, you know, broke uh, and how the hell I made it to that race and did that is beyond me. It, it seems like another life ago. It's like, did I really do that? You know, but that's, that's what was going on that moment in time.
0: Yeah. And you wound up winning Bush races, which is Xfinity. And then you race for the championship, made your way to cup, like you talked about. And I, I mentioned when we and you, you were so close to winning cup races along the way, had those great opportunities. Uh, as you look back on your cup career, what do you think was missing for you to be able to get to victory lane and, and enjoy the success in the cup series that you had on every other level you ever raced? You won everywhere you had been. What
1: was missing was more, more raw talent. You know, when, you, when I was a kid in school, I was so excited and loaded with confidence. I can do that. And then when I got to the Cup Series, I realized just how darn hard those cars were to drive. You know, I came from lighter race cars, rack and pinion steering, they stuck better. And when I got in a NASCAR race car, it was like, it was just a different machine. And I just didn't have, I didn't have enough talent. You know, it was, so hard for me to drive those cars, you know, with, with that much talent. Now I do believe that as I look back on it, if I would have grew up around those type of cars, maybe, maybe I would have been a little bit better. You know, um, I'll admit it. Um, running in the cup series. Now that I look back on it was some of the worst times in my life. Uh, I was miserable and I'll tell you why I was miserable because I wanted to be Jeff Gordon. I wanted to be him. And, uh, you know, it it wasn't until about three years ago where, you know, I was happy again. So when I lived in North Carolina, I was fun, but I was like a sad clown. You know, I would go back home and just, just devastated, you know, now I will say this though, 1989, 90 91 were the times of my life because when i ran in the bush series i was running good
0: yeah
1: and i was happy it was only until i went to the cup series i realized holy crap these guys are going down to the corner 200 mile an hour and these things are loose and i'm like i'm gonna kill myself you know <laughs> and, you know and it was just really, really hard on me. Yeah. And I couldn't, ex- I couldn't explain exactly what I needed, and I tried, and,
0: you know, and I tried, and I tried. Well, I, I just – I feel like you're selling yourself a little bit short, in my opinion, and believe me, I lost, I lost the most races anyone ever lost and then won <laughs> one. So I've been down there where you are, but circumstances make, make such – the huge differences getting at the right place at the right time and there's been a lot of guys come along that that just just wound up in a better spot than maybe you and I did for a while getting the chance to drive for the Wood Brothers in in 96 to me was, was the first big deal that happened to me I'm like I gotta win in this car and and uh, you know I won I won we won the all-star race but then after that you know it just didn't seem to go as well as I'd hoped and and I would probably be sitting here telling the same story you're telling if I didn't have one guy that believed I could win. And that was Dale. And he, he just said, you'd win in one of my cars. I promise you'd win in one of my cars. And you know, he, he, he just, he just made me a winner because of the way he talked to me and the way he treated me. And I talked about Talladega and, and we just, we just would have been here this past weekend um, I've got a couple of great memories with you at Talladega but the first one I want to talk about is, is the 2000 fall race and that incredible charge to the front that Dale made with you right on his bumper. How special is that memory for you and, and it'll go down in history as, as Dale's last win and, and you were a big part of that.
1: So the first thing to be told about that race is kind of like you with the Wood Brothers. I had finally got hooked up with Andy Petrie and his super speedway program was out of sight. It was awesome. So now I'm in a competitive car and it was competitive. Uh, That's number one. So, you know, the way I ran those races was if I could lead, I could lead, but I could never really lead. And I would always have I told Jimmy Elledge, my crew chief at the point, I said, let me know when it's 25 laps to go. I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to stay out of trouble. Well, you know, we come in for that last pit stop. We had a bad pit stop. We come out dead last. I looked in my mirror, and there's Earnhardt in my mirror. And I said, I keyed my button. I said, what happened to Earnhardt? They said, he had a bad pit stop too. Well, we, we dropped that green flag with 10 laps to go, and I was going. And um, I got picked, I think it was going into turn one, and, and Senior got back by me. We go down the back straightaway, and I end up behind him for some reason, timing and circumstances. And he's wearing those white gloves. And, and, and he, yeah, and, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, Dale Earnhardt's talking to me. <laughs> yeah. He says, come on, help me. <laughs> And that's all it took. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> so um, from then on, you know, I knew that I couldn't let anybody between us. And no matter how hard I tried with that, with that rules package, you couldn't hit them. You know, I could only get to them. If you could hit them, it was luck. You know, I, you, you'd be struggling. It was like little with that rules package. You know, you couldn't really get to them. But I stayed right there, and I'll be damned, you know, if if we made it to the front. And uh, I think after that, you know, so much took place. You know, I get out of the race car, and all over the loudspeaker, all I heard was Dale Sr. going, you know, if it weren't for Kenny Wallace, I would have never won the race. And I'm like, me? You <laughs> know, <laughs> 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 Then it's like a week later, every fan in the United States is, I like, I like you, Kenny Wallace. You know, you helped Earnhardt win. You know, and then, then the story turns tragic. You know, as you know, you know we lose senior, and then, then there's more meaning to the race, you know, because it was the last win of his life. And, uh, you know, sadly, people say to me, what's your most memorable race in your life? I said, I finished second. You know it, it was that race so you know just a fun race then be, then became different you know after he passed
0: away you know another thing that we have in common people ask me what my favorite moment was in nascar and and my answer is just like yours you know it's when i finished second to dell junior at daytona and the celebration we had and how special that was you know Obviously, 20 years later, it's pretty cool to have a Daytona 500 trophy. <laughs> I'm glad I got that. Yes, sir. But, uh, you know, that moment, that, that moment is something I'll never forget. It's It was the best moment of my, my career, and I didn't even win. So, believe me, buddy, I know how it feels to have your best memory be a second-place finish.
1: You, you know, Mikey, I also think at that time – you know, there's no doubt there's – for you, you know, I remember your moment well. 250,000 people in the grandstands and, you know, the the noise was so loud, it was deafening in a good way. I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> I got goosebumps talking about you there.
0: I got you dumb know, tears. tears.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was – for me and you, one thing I can definitely relate with is – for me and Earnhardt at Talladega, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, my hand on the Bible, I could hear the roar of the crowd on the last lap through my motor noise. Yeah, and you, I could never say that. I mean, that's that's actually silly to say, but I could hear it. Yeah, and and that's the way I remember you and Junior, was oh my gosh, you know, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand people just. When you were hugging him, I'll. You're right. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Either it's burnt into my brain.
0: Right on. Uh, so those were those were emotional. As we look back, you know, very special times. Um, but my first favorite Talladega memory is uh, in whatever year it was. I and I, I was telling someone this the other day. I, I finished second at Talladega to Dale Jr. He won. I was second. And you finished fifth in. The number double zero Aaron's Dream Machine. Okay, let me let me just tell you what about that. We built that. We bought that car, used car from DEI, and we rented an engine. Richie Gilmore gave us an engine. We put that car together in a barn behind my house in the country, and we Ronnie Silver and the boys loaded it up and took it to Talladega, and we finished fifth in a in a car we built in a barn. And just how different. That is now, you know, you would never finish fifth in a car that you built behind your house now. But what a great day that was. What a great memory. Um, and I still say you finished fifth. You you, you uh, finished fifth in my eyes. So
1: in a funny, sad way, you and I made history. I believe I was the first driver to, in NASCAR history, you know, with the yellow line rule. So the, you know, white flags in the air and I'm coming underneath Sterling Marlin and I get my right front, you know, right to his left rear barely. And he turns down. Well, my natural action was turn left and I didn't even go down on the flat. I remember the car wiggling and uh, I was underneath the yellow line a little bit and oh, it was horrible. I remember after the race being so happy and I believe Matt Yocum was going, Kenny Wallace, what a great run. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Kenny Wallace, you've been penalized. You're now last. And I'm like, that's fine. Oh, I was, I was devastated. And the only thing I could do was use my defense mechanism. I was crushed, destroyed. But I said, that's fine. I know I finished fifth. Yeah. But, I mean, we really did finish fifth. But I was made an example that day, you know, and – uh, it still hurts to this day, but you know, uh, whatever. But but we did run fifth.
0: Yeah, I was your car owner, and my sponsor, Aarons, and 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 the president of Aarons, Ken Butler, they they didn't give a crap where they put you. You know, you finished fifth to them, and 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 in our eyes, so uh, that was a really fun time in our lives, having that chance to run together. We made the the Daytona 500 together with the Aaron's car back in 05. And um, I'm just, I'm glad we became friends and, and I was able to, to, to I'll say, you know, I was the owner, so I gave you these opportunities, but I gave them to you because my sponsor wanted you in that car. My sponsors and my team wanted to work on a car that you were driving. So um, thank you for 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 those memories. Well, that, that's, that,
1: that feels odd to me because you know, I, I've thanked you a lot, but you you know I've told you a 100 times. Mikey, thank you so much. And, you know, I want to tell you, for me, the most memorable dr- moment for me driving for you was a very strange moment that a lot of people don't know about. It was, you know, when I went to Daytona to make the Daytona 500 driving for you, it was the gold car, Aaron's car. Uh, I'm coming off a of turn four to the checkered, I'm not in the Daytona 500. I had to pass Jeffrey Earnhardt to finish, you know, in in the transfer spot. And now remember, I'm running good, but we're all wadded up. You know, like fifth place is like right in front of me, but we're two and three wide. And I passed him from turn four to the start finish line in your car. And making that Daytona 500, you know, made my whole week. You know, oh, it was, oh my God, it just. I'm right now. I'm I'm feeling drained about it. You know, because you know, that those twin 150s. Now I think it was twin 125 then. But when you make that Daytona 500 on Thursday, it makes the rest of the weekend like you're on vacation.
0: Yes. Oh. It's the best. And that, now we've talked about all the good times, and I've got to hit on one of one of our uh, one of our challenge challenging times when I blocked you on Twitter. Um, yeah, we're dear friends. I love you with my whole heart, but I had to put the old. I I didn't have to. I shouldn't have said it like that. But I, I put the put the old block to you on Twitter. Okay, I know why I did it, and I know my side of the story. But when you saw I blocked you on Twitter. What was your, what were, what, what were you thinking?
1: I believe now, once again, I've said this my second time. I've said this, my hand on a Bible. This is no story I made up. I know you good enough. That mean you share a lot of the same traits. We are both into psychology and we're both. We both practice things to make us feel better. I knew that I crossed some type of boundary with you and I knew what it was you know i you know you always say you know be kind you know or leave and i knew what the moment was i knew for a fact that it wouldn't become you know between our relationship and i also know that social media is is good but it's almost the death of us it's you know sometimes i don't do a good job with it and um you know, so I knew that also when I saw you at Toyota in Plano, Texas, and, and you, you know, we both kind of come eye to eye, and we both smiled at each other. But, uh, yeah, I know why you blocked me, and, and I believe I would, too. You know, to this day, you know, I block, I unfollow everybody to do with politics because it saddens me. It makes me miserable. So I can really relate with you in that time. And so uh, I think just because me and you are really your friends, uh, I knew what you were up to. I got it. And I knew we'd be fine.
0: <laughs> I, I I blocked you, but I, I, it was just the assholes that were agreeing with you and yelling at me. <laughs> that people were mad at me because I was having good trips. Right. You, know, you have one bad trip on American Airlines, and I'm like, I I don't even comment on your issues. I just write on my own Twitter, you know, how, what a gracious flight attendant I had, what a, what a great flight I had, how much I enjoyed myself. And people are like, yeah, well, Kenny Wallace didn't, you butthole. You shouldn't be so happy about having a good trip. I'm like, what the hell? That doesn't even relate. So that's how that went down. But I, I never, I just did it for, I did it. Not because of you, but because of all the, the, the mean people that were agreeing with you.
1: Hey, we have each other's phone number. We don't need each other's Twitter account. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> oh, that was funny, though, because I went on Dale Jr.'s download, and he's like, why the hell did you block Kenny Wallace?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, you know, I struggle with social media. I really, I really do.
0: And, there, man, there's times. Hey, I can take out the social part. I'm struggling right now with media in general, and I know, you know I'm part of the media, but uh, it, I, just, I just can't believe some of the things I hear and, and read and see, and I don't know what the answer is, uh, but it's, it's really, really, it's really, really challenging right now.
1: It, yeah, I am with you. We, you know, it's, it's not sad to say, but it's true. Me and you are of the same brain. And I came, I came that close two week, a week ago to literally deleting all of it off of my phone. You know, the only reason I didn't was because my sponsors that I have, they love me on it.
0: Well, Let me tell you another reason why you shouldn't, and it's the reason why I have it. It's because there's hundreds of thousands of people that love you. And want to hear what you've got to say and can't wait to read your tweets. Just because there's if if it's if it's ten or a hundred or if it's a thousand people that are just buttholes that ruin the experience for hundreds of thousands of others, you owe it as a public figure and a guy that gets to race a car because he has sponsors, you owe it to those people to just ignore the 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 mean people and continue to to, to be nice to your fans. Let me tell you why you shouldn't ever delete your Twitter. You get to race a car because you have great sponsors on your car. Plus you're a family man. I love seeing you with your kids. There's hundreds of thousands of people that love you and can't wait to read your tweets. And just because there's a hundred or two hundred or how many ever buttholes there are that that ruin the experience for for some of uh for part of you Normal and just be Kenny and, and I would be I would be sad if 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 Kenny wasn't around on the on the social media. I know I blocked you once, but it's only for a little while.
1: Well, I got to give you a compliment because I remember a long time ago I said to you, I said, Mikey, you sure do tweet a lot, and you said to me, works for me. And I thought. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live because it reminds me of Dick Trickle. Remember he's saying, as long as you can justify it. So one of the reasons I stay on Twitter was because you said those simple words to me. It works for me. And uh, yeah, it's amazing that we don't realize in life, somebody will say to me, hey, I remember what you said. And I'm like, what did I say? And so I'm telling you, that I said that to you one time. I said, man, you sure do tweet a lot. And the simple words you just saying it works for me. And, you know, sometimes pure pressure makes us be different. But you're the one that taught me if it works for you, you know. So, um, yeah, one thank day. you.
0: One day I, I uh, got a call from you on, on TV and, and I showed the TV camera. Oh. <laughs> I said, look, Kenny Wallace is calling me.
1: <laughs> you are the reason I have this phone number right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How did that work out?
1: Oh my God, you had that Blackberry phone. And, and and you went, I'm down in Nashville at the concrete track, the new one. You're in Pocono. You guys are in rain delay. Bob Bilner comes to interview you, and Bob says, Well, what are you doing, Mikey? And you said, I'm talking to Kenny Wallace. What showed my phone number? (laughs) I'll never forget it. I had Allison Marshall working for me. And my phone went nuts. And uh, it was funny. And Allison, by the end of the day, had called uh, whoever it was at that time, Nextel Sprint. And they had me a new phone number. So the phone number that I have now, right now, is because
0: of you. So uh, we're tied close together. (laughs) Always. Always. Uh, and you were kind enough to give me one of your helmets. Look at this, baby. I'm here. I've named my studio Kenny the Dale Earnhardt Studio because I've got uh, one of his helmets and uh, just a lot of memories of Dale. And this is where I'm going to do my podcast from, and I do some interviews. And I'm I'm really thankful that uh, to my friend Michael from Kenny Wallace. Uh, really, really thankful that you were able to. Uh, you wore this in a race, uh, like many of my helmets I have here, and then, and then uh, we we traded helmets. So, thank you for the helmet, and uh, and and thank you for making me happy, making me happy. Well, and I think Kenny Wallace, my heart lights up. Thank you.
1: Well, Mikey, I love you. I truly do, and I mean that. You're a big part of my life. You've molded me a little bit of who I am. And you're right.
0: Well, with Kenny Eddie, Trader Dick Trickle, by the way.
1: Hey, it, it, you know what? I'm if gonna tell you. you. I'm going to tell you what Schrader taught me. He, Schrader said, Kenny Wallace, I love you because you're so messed up. You make me feel good about myself. So me, me and you are so messed up. I'm like, hey, he's like me. But hey, that helmet, that is one of my real helmets. And, and we did trade at the end of that year. And I appreciate you giving me a helmet too, Mikey. So thanks.
0: Well, I will tell you what a funny one more little funny story, then uh, we've got to wrap it up. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I'm very happy. Um, Jacob Ullman from Fox, he told me to tell you hi, by the way. But I was talking to him uh, the other day, and I said something, and he said, he said, you know, I was just thinking the same thing. I said, that's pretty scary, isn't it? As smart as you are to think that I can think the same things that you think. I mean, that's how we are.
1: Yeah, and i would learned that in my older age that we, we did cut ourselves too short. It, it it It's not that you and I are weird. We're just different, and, and they all are the same. Me, me and you are awesome because we're different from all them normal people.
0: That's right. And <laughs> <doing good. laughs> all them weirdos, you know. <laughs> well, take care out there in St. Louis, Missouri. Hope you get to go back racing again soon. All right,
1: Mikey, and I'll, I'll see you down the road. I don't know when, but I love you.
0: I love you, too, and you tell Strader that, uh, that I miss him. I will. Bye-bye, buddy. Well, that was a lot of fun. I knew it would be. Kenny Wallace and I, we're kindred spirits. We've always been, uh, we've always been a part of each other's lives. So thank you so much, Herm, for joining me. And listen, if you're watching at home on your favorite podcast app, be sure to add the Fox Sports YouTube channel and check out Walter Fun Filter. We love bringing you these stories and, and learning from some of the stars of NASCAR. So appreciate you tuning in. Can't wait to talk to you next week.